JT live from Virgin Hotels. We continue with our podcast for this enormous and great property. It is our second episode. Welcome in, and we got a nice crowd out here, and we got a big weekend. And my first guest on this second edition is my great friend, John Sassenti, president of the Las Vegas Bowl and one of my longest-standing friends in Vegas. How are you, my brother? Good, buddy. This is, this is always one of my favorite things to do is sit around and, and, uh, and, and talk shop with you and talk sports and we actually get to do it with a little bit of a view this time, not just you and I in a studio. This is great. Well, it's amazing because we're going to talk to a bunch of different people today who you all know. Two years ago today, I was standing about 100 feet away, and it was a construction site yeah. with Boz. And I want to begin with that on how they opened this property during the heart of COVID, the difficulty. And now when we're sitting here today in mid-August, the property looks amazing. It seems like they got it right. Yeah, it's, it, it's great. You Well, Two, two things, one for the destination, two for the, for the property. But you, you love seeing uh, they, they, have the, they have the front desk fully staffed. Yeah. So, so everybody's there checking people in. There's a huge line to check in still. Uh, always good. Uh, Virgin, I, I was here for that opening. It was, it was really weird. I think it was one of the first events yeah. coming out that we were allowed to go back into public. Everybody was wearing a mask, trying to have a cocktail. Uh, it was a super, super weird event. But uh, I think they did a great job. Boz is obviously a phenomenal operator. They're one of our great partners. They're our host hotel for the Pac-12 team. Um, and so this property has been really, really good to us uh, from the Las Vegas Bowl as well. Before we get to the Las Vegas Bowl, I want to start back with a look back at your life. Tell us early <laughs> years, early years, pre-high school or around high school, what were your earliest passions for sports? When did sports get into your life, big? Yeah, well, I, I played sports growing up. Um, you know, I had an opportunity to play uh, to play baseball in college. Um, I, I for, for the record, I was not very good, and I was reminded of that my, my freshman year uh, in fall ball at UNLV when, when Freddie Dallimore told me, uh, get, get, get out of here, son, you're just not that good. I think that was the last time I actually cried. Um, and, and he was right. I was not that good, but I was good in, in small-town New Jersey. I was not good in, in big-picture things. But to be honest with you, um, I, I grew up loving sports. I was, I'm a New Yorker, you know, my Knicks and my Mets and – and uh, diehard sports fan and New York sports fans are, are, are unlike any other, as you Absolutely. know. Yeah. As you know, um, I was really spoiled as a kid going to Knicks games. My, my best friend growing up was the, was the CEO of Morgan Stanley. So we had the seats right behind Spike Lee at, at Knicks games with, during the heyday, right? With during, don't, don't, remind, and, don't remind me when the heyday was. There should have been, been three heydays since, and there hasn't been. But. Buddy, it was a long time ago, and you had these four punk kids that took the train over from New Jersey sitting courtside uh, for every one of these great games. But, you know, when I came out here to Las Vegas, uh, I came out here to be an architect, right? I met Steve Wynn at a UNLV basketball game, and it was hopping, and I was like, I was fascinated with casinos and building casinos and and that's what I wanted to do. And that, I came out here uh, because of UNLV basketball. They, I mean, they were number one, number two in the country. When I got out here, uh, it was J.R. Ryder's first year. They were still pretty, pretty dang good. Um, and so, obviously, sports was in my nature right away. Um, and, and, and that's what ended up bringing me out here. I was incredibly fortunate that before I finished school, I got a, I got a part-time job on game days for the Las Vegas Thunder. Um, working working for the thunder and working a little bit on the baseball side and our good friend donnie logan who's who's running the aviators now he i'll never forget he asked me if i wanted to work in sports he thought i had a future in sports and he goes do you want to work in sports i go i, I think so it's kind of fun um he goes what do you want to do i go i have no idea which i thought was the worst answer ever but then 
it ended up being the best answer yeah. ever because he bounced me around to a number of different departments, um, and I got a, I got a great opportunity, and, and, and Donnie took really good care of me. And, and you know, at, at that time, there wasn't a lot going on here in, in sports in Las Vegas, and to see what it's become today uh, is, is pretty spectacular. So Don Logan was a big, important guy early on as a mentor he really opened the door i like talking with you about yeah. when a door opens do you go through it or not yeah. that was a big moment you remember that and then you get in behind the scenes you start seeing the las vegas sports world take me to the next stage where you knew you had an opportunity you know with the thunder and after that when did you start dreaming big that you could even do more well my my, my first big step and, and and when i left on I, I got the full-time job with the stars and the thunder uh working in the marketing department and uh my my first real opportunity uh the the ownership group changed at the stars uh the stickney family and mandalay sports entertainment were out and they brought a new group in and um they fired my immediate boss uh who's the voice of the rebels john sandler yes. i'm sure we all know john sandler very well john sandler lands the gig with the xfl and uh, wanted to bring me over right away and give me that opportunity. So, so my first big leap was over with the XFL, overseeing the sponsorships and the ticket team and the marketing team. And what, a, what an unbe- unbelievable year that was. Um, you know, I, I learned a ton. As you know, I, I, Vegas, Vegas set the bar on, on the franchises. But, you know, it, 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 honestly, it, I, I almost got out of sports twice. Uh, thank God I never did. I was, you know, at, at a young age, and, and I had great mentors, like a, like a Don Logan that I can go to and I could talk to. You know, somebody would offer you a job working for Pepsi for $10,000 more a year, right, or working in a financial office for a couple months. And when you're 24, 25, 26, like, you know, that's, that's, that, that makes a huge money, difference, right? Especially I, in this town. I joke around with Donnie all the time, working for him in sports. I was working, you know, we had two, two, fran- two teams working like 80, 90 hours a week for $20,000 a year. And if you, if, you, if you divide that up and you do, I was working for like 17 cents an hour. I was like one of the kids <laughs> in Ethiopia, right? Um, it, so so that, that, that was a big thing. But they all told me, they said, listen, if, if you work hard, and, 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 and you continue to do a good job and you, you have great respect for people and, you, and this is a relationship town, don't jump ship for a couple bucks, right? Like the grass isn't always greener for a couple extra dollars. Like pay your dues, work hard, and the opportunity will come. And, and, and my big opportunity came in, uh, in 2013 when, when I got you know, elevated into this position. Before we get to your position now, what was interesting is I was the voice of the XFL with the team here in town with Napoleon I always thought about I couldn't believe where they were sending us. We were doing games at the greatest <laughs> venues in all the sports. Yeah. I'm sitting at the L.A. Coliseum. I'm doing a game, first time I've ever done play-by-play, and John Sandler really opened the door for me. And the Liberty Bowl, and we're up in San Francisco at then Pac Bell Park yeah. before they were really playing baseball Soldier there. Soldier Field. Soldier Field. And I look back on that, and here's the way I describe that story. I think that Vic, I knew Vince McMahon had the deep pockets to go as long as he wanted, but I think as a sharp businessman, he looked at what was in front of him with Abersol and everybody else and realized that it probably wasn't sustainable in that model. And as a great businessman, instead of going forward and losing a lot more money, he pulled the plug. Is that kind of accurate about what happened there? Because I wish that would have went two or three years. I thought it had the legs to do it. Yeah, it, it definitely had the legs to do it. And, and I don't know if you watched the 30 for 30 that, I that was on ESPN. Phenomenal. I thought they did a great job. My, my one complaint, and I, I got a chance to tell uh, Charlie Eversall this, I said I was really disappointed that, that, that you guys didn't talk to anybody from the Las Vegas franchise because we did set the bar. We sold Absolutely. out everyone. We had the first game, and nobody talked to us uh, here in Las Vegas. So I was incredibly disappointed. But 
I wish in that 30 for 30 they would have dove into the dirty details of, of the pulling of the plug, right? They, they kind of hinted at a little bit. The, the, the TV deal went south, right? right. It, it had to do with that, that one time that it ran late on Saturday Night Live and NBC was upset. I, I heard a number of rumors that um, part of it was um, other networks thought that they had um, Vince McMahon by the cojones, uh, and they were trying to leverage more WWE content. And Vince was trying to keep everything separate. And, you know, Vince is not going to get leveraged or threatened or by anything anybody. else by anybody. Right. And ultimately it ended up falling through because Vince was not going to give on some of this other stuff. I, who knows if that's true or not, but that's, that's, I, wish they would have, I wish they would have dove into it a little bit more on why they pulled it as quick as they did. John Sassenti, president of the Las Vegas Bowl. So the opportunity comes with you before Allegiant Stadium, before the Golden Knights. You're at Sam Boyd. You have a passionate fan base in this town. Take me through the early years of the bowl game and how it's evolved. Well, when, 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 um, when I started, it was, uh, it was right when ESPN acquired it from the Las Vegas Convention and Visitors Authority. And quite honestly, ESPN, at, at the, it ended up launching a, a new division of ESPN called ESPN Events, and, and, and it was done by accident. The Las Vegas Convention and Visitors Authority started this game. It was running for 10 years. They were bringing, you know, they were putting crowds out there of 10, 11, 12,000. There was an economic impact of five or six or seven million, and they were doing backflips. They thought it was a huge success because for 52 weeks out of the year, this t- 51 weeks out of the year, this town is hopping. There was one week that was dead, one week in the entire year, and they couldn't have one dead week. So they thought college football fans are fanatics. They're 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 passionate. They'll travel to Vegas the week before Christmas, and we, and we got a little bit, right? But at the end of the day, the convention authority was losing about $850,000 a year on this game. But they believed in it. They thought it was going to be big. They thought it could be great. They thought it would be good for Las Vegas for pre-Christmas. Um, well, when we, we, we agreed to take it over, we as ESPN agreed to take it over um, as a favor to a longtime partner. And we said, give us the money in advertising dollars. That you, now, you, now you come out of a separate budget. You don't have to show a loss, an operational loss, and we'll take it over and we'll do our best. Well, you know, ten or t- ten or twelve thousand out there, and an economic impact of five million dollars. They they were happy with. Uh, when we took it over in, in two thousand and one, we grew it. We grew it. We had a couple lean years, but I'm proud to say that that you know we sold out eight of eight of nine games we averaged about 38 39,000 people a game during my tenure out there and that 5 million dollar economic impact when the city needed the most ended up creeping into 30 35 million um, which was great and so obviously it, it's a it's a huge win for uh, for Las Vegas because we're we're keeping hotel people working we're driving tourism in here the new game obviously much bigger much 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 more glamorous a lot bigger stadium you know, the, the convention authority's projection was anywhere from 55 to $70 million in economic Incredible. impact, right? We're, we're, we're bringing in the SEC. We're bringing in the Big Ten. Um, in a COVID year last year, um, you know, attendance was down. People had trouble traveling to Las Vegas. They didn't know what was going on. Uh, and we still drove $30-plus million to the, to, to the local economy. So really proud. Um, you should the, be. At it's the end of the big, day. It's a big game. It's got a big footprint here. And one of the things I love about you as a friend is you take so much pride in this, and it's so important to you, even though it's the title on your business card. There are so many people that you affected with this position. So when you see kids come to this game, and I remember at Sam Boyd, they're playing touch football, and there's a band, and now you're outside of Legion Stadium and you're coming in. 
when you have a minute to take a step back and think about where the game was, now the Raiders are here, Allegiant Stadium, the size of this economy. What are some of the challenges going forward? What do you envision with this game in the next two or three years, especially with the matchups, which I want to get to in college football? As college football, college football has changed, John, since I saw you two weeks ago and four <laughs> weeks ago in the Big Ten and yeah. the SEC. Yeah. So does that excite you? Uh, to be honest, there's two things that keep me up at night and scare me. One of them is uh, we we had it we had it dialed in pretty good in a in a 38,000 seat stadium, 39,000 seat stadium. I didn't get nervous. 60,000 seat stadium is a whole nother ball game, right? You you got a lot of seats to fill. How do we do that? You cannot be you cannot rely on getting a blockbuster matchup and having everybody come. You've got to have local support. Uh, you know, I, I, I think we had it last year. We, we sold, we sold 40,000 tickets to that game before we announced the teams. That's inc- I'm incredibly, incredibly proud of that. But it shows the commitment of our committee. It shows the commitment of the city. It shows the excitement of the game that the, that the city got behind it. Um, that's, that's one thing that keeps me up at night. How do we fill that stadium? Because everything revolves around a full stadium. The sponsorships come rolling in. It looks better on TV. It's a better experience for the kids. It's a better experience for our partners. Um, everybody wins just by having bodies in the stadium. The other thing that keeps me up at night, unfortunately, is the thing I have zero control over. The world of college athletics right now is, is turned upside on its head, right? You have realignment. You have uh, nobody, name, image, and likeness. Name, image, and likeness is, is certainly adding another layer. You have issues with the transfer portals where if a coach leaves, teams are, teams are dwindled down, and, and you're, you, may be, you may be selecting. Because keep in mind, we're picking our teams on December 4th. All of a sudden, you have new coaches that come in, and you have the recruiting cycle, and people are transferring. You may not get the same team that you selected, and that's the reality of it. You, you may lose five or six stars if there's a change in coach and they don't like it. And, and, and so, but, but more than anything is, is, is the expansion of the playoff too, right? What are they going to do with the expansion of the playoff? I, I now sit on the executive board for postseason college football. Um, I, was, I, was, I was appointed to this last uh, last year, this is my second year on it. And in 2024, I'm actually the chair wow. of postseason college football. You're the Super Bowl in Vegas. I'm the, I'm the, the year of Johnson. I, I, I love that. Yeah, wow. I, I feel like somebody was playing a trick on me because that's the year. It's 24-25, the, the term. And that's the year that everything is like coming to a head, yeah, right? Absolutely. Um, so I'm like, did somebody plan this out? And they're like, what sucker will we'll, we'll sit in this seat when it happens? But but what what is going to happen? And, and, and I sit on that board, and the reason I bring it up is because we talk about it all the time, is, and we have to represent all the bowls and everything about college, uh, postseason college football to the conference commissioners, to the television partners. And the, 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 the real concern is where do the bowls fit into an expanded playoff? How do the bowls fit in? Everybody agrees that the bowls are great. They impact communities. They, they, they give student-athletes great experiences. Everybody wants to continue to play. But do they become – we can't have them become irrelevant, right? You don't want to – you don't want – the, the college football playoff gets enough attention as it is right now. If you expand that a little bit more, where, where what happens where, to the other bowls? Where the bowls live in that ecosystem, right? As we, so, yeah, and that's a that's a fascinating conversation I'm going to have in the future because it's evolving so quickly. In the final few minutes that we have before we get back to Virgin, I want to know. You know, Mike's sons, I got a 21-year-old who's a senior at Oklahoma. Did that go fast? And, Holy okay, cow. I'm going. I'm going to a game this year. So I I'm connecting. So we went to Kansas connect. State. I'm at the Kansas game, but we'll, we'll try All to right, do both. Right. <laughs> and now I have a sophomore at ASU. 
Which we, the wife, I got a question for you. Yeah. Go ahead. Wh- which one's a better party school? Because those are two pretty good well, ones. Well, when you have a senior <laughs> who was vice president in Oklahoma, and now you have a new one, Oklahoma. But you're right. I'm I'm kind of getting out of Oklahoma. <laughs> the perfect time to get into ASU. Yeah. But give me some advice for those listening here that want to know about their young kids, sons and daughters, who want to get into the business and follow a path similar to yours. I, I, I have young people in my office all the time, and I have the same conversation with them every year. Um, th- there has to be patience. There has to be patience. Uh, the, the, the younger generation wants things instantly. Oh they God. want instant gratification. Uh, they have a friend who – and, and I, I've had this conversation, and it, it's funny because I've been right the majority of the time, right? Uh, inevitably, a young person will come in and go, hey, I, want, I need to make more money. I want to make more money. I have a friend who works for this, like, startup tech company who's making, you know, his starting salary was $90,000. I'm like, come see me in a year and tell me what they're doing, right? You're getting a little more stability here. Don't chase the money. Like, and, and that's the advice I got. Don't chase the money. Be willing to do everything and anything, right? Be, 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 be willing to, to dive in, to learn, to grow, to build your relationships, all that other stuff will come. I promise you it will come. And, and listen, it, it, the grass is not always greener on the other side. Enjoy sports. It's fun at the end of the day. We're, we're, we're in the entertainment business, right? We're, we're, in, we're in the entertainment business in, in sports of all things. So it, it's fun. But I, I, I continue to stress with them, patience, patience, patience. Love be, that. Be, 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 um, you know, don't be shy. Be aggressive. Introduce yourself to people. Be outgoing. Um, I'll tell. I'll tell you that the, when I first started in sports, Don Logan. We'll go back to him. He calls me in his office and he goes, "You want to be successful and make it in sports?" I said, "Yes." What do I need to do? And when he told it to me, I took it one way. Ten years later, I figured out what he meant. He said, "Be the last one to leave the bar. Be the first one in the office." And I'm thinking, oh, this guy. How did I never hear that? He goes, "I go. This guy wants me to go to the bar every night. I'm 20." So I start going to the bar, right? Not realizing the, 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 the message behind that was build relationships, be social, hang out with people, talk about the business, talk about shop, talk shop, learn from other people, build relationships with other people, and then get your ass in the office and work hard, right? And that's, that, was the, that was the hidden message. I didn't quite get it when I was 24 oh. years old, though. Well, you took advantage <laughs> of it. Uh, and one more thing, a typical night for you as we wrap this up at Virgin Hotels. Give me a night where it's a Tuesday, it's a Thursday, it's tonight on a Friday. You're saying, I'm coming out of my home, I'm coming here. What do you expect to see? Well, I, you know, I've lived here long enough, so I'm not going down the strip on a Friday night. And, uh, and, and I, hate to, I hate to admit this, but, you know, I was, on, I was out of the office for three weeks between work, uh, business travel, and, 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 and personal time. And uh, so a lot of things piled up. And so the last week and a half has really kicked my butt in the office. So I'm going home and sitting on the couch and watching some Netflix tonight. Um, but, listen, I, I live in Southern Highlands. I, I, we, we call it the bubble. I like to try to it stay is. within my little bubble. But, uh, but Johnny O'Donnell can get you out of the bubble for a steak at the bar and a cocktail. Course. Listen, course it doesn't can. take much. to You twist my arm that much, and, and, I, and I'm good to go. But we have so much going on in this city. Like we every do. now and then you have to – you have to download a little bit, but you can, I mean, between all of our sports uh, entities going on, between all the concerts that are here, you can do whatever you want, whenever you want. I, I've, you know, in my 40s now, I've gotten a little more strategic on when I'm picking my spots. Um, I'll tell you what, you're the only person that can get me down here at 4 o'clock on a Friday. 
uh, there's there's no way. Well, with little Casamigos uh, certainly certainly helps as well. Uh, but you're the only one that would get me to come anywhere lot. near near this place on a Friday. Thanks for joining so, us at the Virgin yeah, Hotels podcast, sure, man. buddy. For All sure, the best. appreciate the friendship, and you continue to do great work, buddy. Thank you, my friend. All right. We are back on the Virgin Hotels podcast right here in the lobby at Virgin Hotels on a beautiful Friday here in August. Uh, Ian McCarthy joins us, the GM of the Shag Room, and Sean Eiferman, who's the musician and the host of Open Mic Night. Gentlemen, thanks for joining us. I appreciate it. Thanks for having us. This is an exciting time. I want to begin with the Shag Room because I go back to the DNA Mm -hmm. of the hard rock, and as soon as Boz took me through this with the construction hats on and told me about the shag room that was something he really wanted to work how's it going it's going wonderfully so uh we're open five nights a week we do live music every day that we are open uh what we're talking about today is our open mic night which is definitely one of the most exciting nights that we have in there it's uh every wednesday Uh, we start at eight o'clock and go till it ends usually around midnight one o'clock somewhere in there um, it's going incredibly well. We're in our fourth season of it right now. So. Fantastic. I want to talk about open mic night, but I want to talk about some of the nights I roll in there after mm-hmm. a show and the live entertainment is just popping. What was the vision behind that when you put this concept together, how to get great local musicians and just musicians that I'm comfortable with coming back because I know they're right, right. here. You know, I've been in Vegas for a long time, and one of the things that we get asked a lot is, hey, where can I find live music? I've been in a lot of venues around town, and that's always something that we've kind of lacked in Vegas. You know, we used to a long time ago, but it seems that it's, it's taken a, a back seat to a lot of things. So I wanted to, we wanted to bring live music back to the scene, basically. So when we opened, we were doing seven days a week of live music, going excellent. You know, we're, we're down to the five now, so we're open uh, Wednesday through Sundays. Sundays, we even do a thing called the Upside Down Tea Party. Yes, which is, we'll get it's to a, that. It's a lot of fun. But, yeah, tonight we've got uh, Nathaniel Rayliff in the Night Sweats in the, uh, in the theater. So when that gets out tonight, we usually get pretty packed afterwards when everybody comes down to the shag room. Tell so. me how the connection works from the theater, the iconic former joint, mm-hmm. the theater, the money that went into it. I mean, I met my wife at the Stones in that space. Nice. What? Nice. My whole DNA comes through there. I'll get to that in a second. But that's why I'm here because of my relationship with the former property and how Excellent. much I support this one. So to have that combination of 24 Oxford or if there's a concert in the theater and to try to keep people on property from all the amenities from the great restaurants Mm -hmm. to the gaming here, I think when you catch them, go into the lobby, coming in or coming out, and they see the shag room. They love it. And that's exactly it. You can hear the music coming in as well. So the live music bleeds out into the into the hotel lobby, which is definitely an attraction. As the show gets out, like 11 o'clock tonight, that's when it'll get out. We'll have our live band going in the shag room to kind of attract everybody over. Uh, we also have a 24 Oxford event tonight as well, as well as the event launch. So we've got all sorts of stuff going on today. We've They're got, called activations, right? You that's got exactly going. right. We were definitely activated on property today. Uh, Sean, tell me about your background and your career, your early years as a musician and how you got to where you're at today. How much time do we <laughs> you have? have time. For the- it's a podcast. <laughs> you have time. So please uh, please take your time. Uh, I mean, I'm born and raised here. Uh, it's not quite the Vegas love story that you have with the Stones at, at, with your wife, but it's close. Uh, I've had family here since the 50s. Uh, my, wow. No real music background to, to say on the Vegas side of it. My mother was an opera singer, but my father was a, a bodybuilder, like a Hall of Fame, Mr. America, Mr. Universe, uh, big muscle head back like in the 40s and they did a lot of that here right uh, we had the first 24-hour right. gym in the country here back in 1948 58 i'm Incredible. sorry 50. so uh, uh i've had a footprint here forever going back to like i'll just fast forward like crazy on this street corner 
my band opened for Aerosmith when the cafe opened in 90-whatever-that-was. Wow. When this was the first real, you know, anything of a hard rock was here in Vegas. Um, I played, I don't know how many shows in that building, and then uh, the closing ceremonies. I've done the opening ceremonies for all of the above, closing of the hard rock. I was uh, so many all shows, of it. Great shows. So many shows in the old joint and vinyl. You played and, our grand opening at Shagger as well. grand yeah. opening weekend uh, here at the Shag. I, 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 this, you know, it feels, every time I walk in the room, it feels like a family reunion in so many ways. As a musician, so who were your early influences? Who'd you really rock out with early in life? Um, I, so I'm 53, so we're talking about like uh, late 70s, early 80s when stuff started to really make sense. Um, and it was opera singer mother. And okay, so, this uh, is good. There's, there's going to be a Freddie Mercury thrown in there's there. There's got to be. Uh, absolutely. There's nothing sexy or cool up until Queen, up until more 80s. So the stuff that I was influenced by was like the Paint Your Wagon soundtrack with Lee Marvin and Clint Eastwood, like musical stuff. Yeah. Nothing sexy. And then all of a sudden, you know, teen years or whatever, I found myself living in London. I lived in England when I was 14 and 15 years of age. And this sounds dramatic, but it's true. The first time I ever saw something where I go, this is, this is it, I was at Live Aid. I was at Wembley Stadium in 85. Incredible. 15 years of age. Four or five months prior to that, I got to see Springsteen, Born in the USA, tour, also at Wembley Stadium. Live so, Aid, is that when they did We Are the World? Yeah. Nice, yeah, yeah, yeah. nice. <laughs> so, I just watched Bohemian Rhapsody and then the, the finality of that again. Amazing, the right? way they were able to pull that off Crazy. and make it so realistic. So back to you. I mean, that the was, London years seemed like they had a really big influence I, I just started talking about it and gives me yeah. bumps. One, because it was the real, like the anchor, like I want to do this. It was actually Sting. The Springsteen thing was, was an easy answer to your question, early influences. Watching Springsteen, born in the USA, tour as an American in England, and everybody in the stadium knew every word. It was crazy. And then Live Aid, U2's performance was like an aha moment for me. It was crazy. And then Sting came out with just a guitar and a microphone, and 85% of my career is not with a band. It's all Bob Dylan meets Ed Sheeran. Sure. Just a guitar and a microphone. And I remember watching Sting from like 30 feet away when he started in with... Uh, when he started in with, uh, with Roxanne, and it was just a, you know, like all of it. It was an out-of-body thing. It was, like, really influential, an anchored memory the whole time. Nothing to do years. with the red light, but, you know. Yeah. All of it. <laughs> oh, every second of it meant something to me, and that, that was, you know, a long time ago. And I have to put a wrap a bow on it. I can't tell you how excited I am. I'm leaving for Wembley on the 1st of September. The Foo Fighters are the doing a big huge I saw the I saw I'm a big I'm a big Rush guy I seen oh, yeah. Rush 54 times to see Getty and Alex wow. playing both wow. shows they're playing Wembley and then they're playing the LA show yep. Yep. so I think that's incredible amazing I'll I want to get both but I'm uh, I'm going to be there you're in Wembley you got that there and I just came back and saw um, one of the biggest shows of my life I just got back with my wife we went to see the Stones play in Liverpool and awesome. then we saw them in Liverpool and we're on our way to Amsterdam to see them and Mick got COVID. The greatest frontman in the world oh, yeah. got COVID inside the show when oh, we were inside the show in the pit, and they canceled the show. Oh. So that's a rock story, but I would never win with him right. talking about greatest uh, concerts I... of all time. Uh, Ian, I want to get back to you on the synergy as Boz is mm-hmm. here, too. When you see certain nights where fans come in and they get connected with music, 
What does that mean with you? Because this is hospitality, this is gaming, this is drinks, food and beverage, mm-hmm. but the music side and how you fit in and navigate through all that. The, the music side is the heart of it all, by all means. You know, like I said, we are live music every day that we're open, specifically on that open mic night. If you want a night that's really going to kind of resonate with fans and guests alike, that is definitely the night. It's kind of a creative outlet for a lot of these musicians in town just to come down and express themselves when, you know, they might have a paid gig five days a week and they're playing the same cover song over and over and over. And over. They get in here and, and over and over. And over. <laughs> Whereas they get here, they can try their original stuff. They can kind of put it out to an audience. They can just really express themselves in a, in a creative way. And it's, it is, it's, it's been an if honor I may, an open, open mic. We've had people come into that room with bagpipes. We've had two people on the same night that didn't know each other show up with uh, f- uh, flutes, flutes right. and have like a flute battle. Um, there's full backline. So there's a drum set. There's a acoustic guitar, bass guitar, uh, keyboard, you know, vocal microphone. So it's got full backline. So if a band wanted to come in, they can. If we want to create a band, it happens every night. Every yeah. Wednesday, somebody goes, hey, I want to do this song. It's a room full of musicians. Anybody want to jump on drums? Does anybody play keyboard? And all of a sudden, it becomes like a jam, which... Really organic. Know. That's really yeah. cool. And I don't know if a lot of people know this. The Killers all met at an open mic. Uh, uh, what's the other big... Uh, Imagine. Imagine Dragons. All met at open mics here, you know... That's incredible. So, so, that, so that is the vision of this because initially when you put it together, open mic traditionally is a certain way. Now you could be a keyboard player and be sitting there having a cocktail, and all of a sudden someone could say, come on up and play with us and just Absolutely. make it happen. Yeah. We, That's incredible. We, we but, had the early conversation, if I may, about making this the coolest open mic in the country. Sounds like That it. was the mantra in my head, and that meant a handful of things. That meant, one, no offense to anybody, but this can't be in a building like this with management and a room and all the backline and stuff, this cannot be the, like, coffee shop in Portland vibe open mic. Thank God. We're, yeah. It's Vegas. It's a little yeah. more elevated than that. By it's way more elevated than that. <laughs> and, you know, the benefits of, of that Virgin is kind enough and generous enough to, to do, anybody that's worthy on the end of every Wednesday night is sort of a winner. It's not a talent show, so to speak, but management goes, all right, well, this is the kind of people we want playing here. So this is the the process we're going to have 20 people come in here and play on a wednesday night one of these people tonight every single wednesday wins like a staycation here in the hotel and and is dubbed the winner of that night and then every 12 weeks we do a finale with celebrity judges and make it sort of incredible game show the winner of that gets a paid residency in this room becomes uh, some of these people have never been a, a pro level like in a room like this or anywhere. They might have the talent, but just not the experience on it. And, and that never happens. What a reward at the back end yeah. of this. So, guys, as we wrap it up, Ian, I'll start with you. What is your message to those who are listening and are going to be listening to this over the next couple of months to come to this experience here, not only at Virgin Hotels, but especially the Shag Room? It is just that. It's an experience. And that's what I want to you know, push more than anything. You know, it's, it's a great, like I said, it's a creative outlet. It's just a great time to just come by, relax, see some amazing talent, and grab a great cocktail. Absolutely. <laughs> Very, that's the strength of this place. The cocktail place. is definitely the, the no strength. Doubt. Yeah. And the best Sean, orange juice in the city. Really? <laughs> comes from a guy who's lived his whole life here. I'll take your word on it. Yeah, all the juices, yeah. everything we use are all fresh. We don't do gun stuff, so he's a big fan of our fresh squeeze OJ that we use in I our cocktails. I get made fun so. of all the time. Everyone's drinking drinks, and I'm like, I just want an orange juice. Have you tried the orange juice? I brag about it over the microphone. And Sean, your message to the musicians in town. How to get here, how to go through this process, how do they sign up, what do they need to do, what should they be telling their friends? So we've automated the whole situation you walk up to the venue and scan a qr code and it puts you automatically into the queue 
And so it's super easy. You can bring your own instruments, but we have, like I said, all the back line is provided. Um, and, and I say this a lot. I don't care who you are or what you do. Because of what we were just speaking of, don't suck. That's my message to those musicians. This yeah. is not an open mic, open mic. Come here expecting to impress not only guests of the hotel. Again, coffee shop, Portland, open mic thing. You're not really worried about. This is not Bluebird in Nashville, even though it's phenomenal. This mm-hmm. is Vegas. Yep. This is rock and roll or your genre that you're good at. And just have a good time. In 11 months, 10 yeah. more. All genres, been? by the way, yeah. as well. Anything from hip hop to rock good. and roll. Uh, to I've had song, to ask gospel. Yeah, yeah. yeah, all of it. Yeah, polka. I've had to ask two people not to come back. I'm like, look, you need to go practice a little bit. Ooh. Like a little tough Ooh. love. Ooh. We want to keep it constructive, but yeah. yeah, all constructive criticism. I give them exact things to work on as well. Some dude showed up with five strings on a six-string guitar and then wouldn't play the guitar that's provided. I'm like, dude, just play this. There's people waiting. You're not going to restring. Like it's those sort of conversations that have to be made to keep this level where we're at. Gentlemen, thanks for doing this. All the best. Pleasure. Good luck. Absolutely. Thanks for coming on. Great. Appreciate it. We're back on the Virgin Hotels podcast, episode two. Marcus Arroyo, kind enough to join us, the head coach of UNLV football. Coach, with your schedule, I greatly appreciate this. Yeah, no problem, Jake. You've got to get to pop in. We're at the uh, last day of camp, man, so it's pretty cool. Wrapping things up. Tell me about this camp compared to years past and why everything's clicking right now. What are you confident about? Well, I mean, if you've done this long enough, you know that you go through two, you go through a, another training camp besides the first one. You just got guys have better acclimation. You know, they, they get more confidence. First of all, you've got a better group. You're deeper. You're bigger. You're stronger. You're more developed. Um, we've got more depth. We've added 30 guys to the roster, so we, the way you practice is totally different. Um, and I think just the comfort comfort level with the coaches, you know, mm-hmm. a comfort level with the, with the culture, the structure. Right. They know where to go. They know where to line up. I mean, you're not – you know where the light switch is. You know where to park. I mean, there's a lot of stuff in year one, man, that you, you take for granted. And uh, and I think in year two, we've we've really uh, we've really had fun in this camp and, and, and grinding our guys the right way and really getting a lot of ball done. Tell me about strength and conditioning. What did you tell your players who came back in the off season, and what rewards did they bring back? Did you see the dedication and how they conditioned their bodies? Yeah, we run a pretty uh, high-performance offseason. Um, from that last day after that Air Force game, we knew what we wanted to get done, already planned out. Matt File has been with me since uh, the last few stops we've had. Uh, he was at Georgia. He was at, we at the Falcons in Atlanta um, at one time back all the way a long time ago. Um, we spent the last few years uh, in, in a same type of structure in the fourth quarter program that goes back to Don James and, and, and Alabama and Georgia and when we were at Oregon. And so he knows kind of how we want to do things in the offseason. Um, we just we really ramp our guys up, man. It's it's really structured. Um, there's a lot of gains to be made in the off season in our program. Uh, guys spend the entire summer here. Um, they feed here. They they eat here. They stay here. They're together. Uh, they've got um, a college version of OTAs all summer that they run. It's player led. Um, so it's a really really uh, structured off season for us. And and we saw that come. We saw the fruits of that labor in training camp because guys were were clicking, man. And they looked they looked apart. The Fertitta Sports Complex and the combination with the Legion. Now that you get on the road and recruit and you talk to players, has it hit them all? I mean, was it a story in the beginning that you really had to sell? And now when you go and sit down with players and future players who are going to play for the Rebels here, what, is, what are those conversations like? Yeah, the Fertitta Complex is such a huge piece. I mean, that's the piece that, that lured me here initially uh, from, from Oregon after the Rose Bowl. I mean, that, to see that investment, that commitment that the city and the school made uh, and the Fertitta family, um, really, really uh, got me attracted. That attracted the, the, the type of coaches we've got from NFL pedigree to 
to to the most advanced uh, coaches in, you know in the in the country in my opinion, and so that you know put the right people in the building. You encompass that with a two billion dollar Allegiant Stadium as your home field, and you've changed, I mean holistically the infrastructure of a college football program, and so to have that um, as part of what you bring of what you use to attract certain players. Um, you can totally change it, it, the way your roster looks if you do it the right way. So we're, we're really aggressive. Um, guys have responded well to this city, to the Fertitta Complex, our coaches, our plan, our process that we've brought, um, Allegiant Stadium. I mean, that, all this stuff goes hand in hand, and, and now we're just excited about the process of building this thing the right way. Coach, I want to share with the Virgin audience your career path. But going back to a little boy when you started to watch football and mm-hmm. you started to see coaches as a player and coaches, walk us through the early years in your career as a kid out of high school when you were thinking about college and who were the coaches you were looking up to at the time? Yeah, so if you go way back and you got to get back in your archives to, to understand this one and back in your Rand McNow maps to know kind of where, you know, I'm from a town of a thousand people up in Northern California, uh, a little town called Colfax, California, right between, uh, or just short, just short of Truckee um, up in the mountains. You got one stoplight town, man. Um, but right below that, about 15 minutes, in the, and I was in the 80s and 90s, uh, there's a town, Rockland, California. And that's where the uh, San Francisco Niners did their, uh, did their training, training camps camp. for years. And, and, and Coach Walsh was there for years. Well, Sierra College is where they had it at. All our parents and stuff, they were all teachers and educators. Well, they worked not in Colfax. They worked down, down the hill. And, uh, you know, a lot of them, a few of them worked at Sierra College and were teachers. And one of my best friends, buddies, uh, dads was the uh, – women's heads basketball coach another one was the PE instructor another one was a science teacher and so we were down at Sierra College a lot we grew up uh watching watching Bill being the ball boy for some of those guys running on the field I mean that was kind of little did we know at that time really what we were doing it was just a cool place to see some of the pros we watched on TV on on a Sunday and the Jerry Rice's and the John Taylor's and Joe Montana's and Bill Walsh and McPherson's of the world and, and to hear some of those I call them teachers because the way that that group taught was different and I, I realize that now the way they talked to their guys was different and I think that as I've gotten older and got a chance to really uh, be fortunate and humble by you know meeting you know coach Gruden and the guys later and, and Mariucci's and guys who've been on that staff and worked with that tree to hear them all talk now and kind of talk the same way it's funny how it rubbed off on almost right. anybody that was around that group um, and so there's such an appreciation for having grown up there and just have been around it and then that moved forward you know through the years of coaching and playing played for an nfl guy in college and had some of the same nomenclature and terms and and then that moved on to you know coach tedford and and and, and the oregon crew tree with with cutter and peterson and then it went on to you know another tree of don james and and his crew at washington and some of those guys and to filter it off that went on to be sabins and gary pinkles and and so i mean i'm no different than probably a lot of guys who've done this since you know, for 20 years since you're, you know, 22 years old, right when you got into it. And I had a, a really fortunate opportunity to meet all those people at a certain time when uh, I could get into the business and be a fly on the wall in a ton of places and travel a lot and go see those guys and learn and try to articulate the best I could uh, uh, what exactly they were getting done and what I want to do. So it sounds like, Coach, you've taken a lot from all these coaches, but it goes to Bill Walsh and Don James. When you sit there and you put together a game plan or you're sitting down in a private moment, are one of those coaches always in your ear? Is there a notebook or something that you look back on when you're trying to prepare for a specific opponent and you say, wow, that's the coach <laughs> who would have given me this advice on this day? I, I think that's probably all of us. You know, yeah. you spend so much time I and mean, you spend – I mean, it's nauseating. People, you spend 16, 17 hours a day working under, under the, at, the same, at the same thing over and over and over for seven days a week. I mean, you get called crazy. We are. I mean, you learn to kind of 
talk to yourself in the same ways you heard talked over and over and over in every situation. It's 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 really Groundhog Day for for coaches in all the ways. It's the same calendar every year, over and over. It's the same situations in the football. It's the same positions. It's and so yeah, I mean, I, I catch myself a ton whether I'm saying something about you know from Jeff Tedford the quarterbacks, or I'm saying something from from Coach Walsh's books that you see everyone talking about. You know and you got to behave like champions before you're champions, and I'm telling this team that all the time, and it's written on the walls in that in that building, you know, and um, it does echo a lot. I think no, I'm no different than anybody else, man. When you grow up and you're that you're that infatuated and you're that uh, moved by the way certain people do things, I think that you have, you, you, you in, inadvertently and unsub, you know, unconsciously start to take on mannerisms or words or or uh, manifestations that you think are you know you, you think they're all glory and all all your own they're not man there's there's someone else's and you learned how to organize whether it's using the fourth quarter program in the offseason whether it's using a, a don james rubric for how to break down a recruit or whether it's using you know a way to organize your call sheet and and see guys and study guys call sheets from the west coast offense whether it's the read sheets and how to teach quarterbacks their drops and footwork and timing and, and rhythm pass game and to this day i use there's something of all the things i just named there's something right now in, in our program i do that, had, that goes all the way back to all that. So where you're at in the calendar now is we're focusing on your team. I just want to ask you, as the Patriots come out here mm-hmm. next week for the two practices <laughs> yeah. and the game, as we record this, the Raiders are in Miami, and I'm thinking about Josh McDaniels, and I'm really getting to know Dave Ziegler good, and yeah. I know this game's important, and right. they got to figure out the offensive line with all those combinations, which I'll get back to. But in the back of their mind, they're thinking of those two-day practices that are coming, and as you know, Carolina and New England brawled last week. Oh, yeah. What is that now where... The practices almost mean more in the NFL than the game when the starters aren't going to play. How you get that much out of those two days? Yeah, I mean those are those are huge, man. I know there's there's a couple different. I know you know probably conversations <laughs> in that in the in yeah. Josh and going back with with Bill. I mean I was fortunate to be around those guys uh, for a couple different sessions in off season and, and visit those guys, Josh and Dave and, and Coach Belichick when um, New England came to San Jose, came out to the West Coast for a swing back to back years when I was a coach in San Jose. They'd stay with us and. Uh, Coach Tommy and Coach Belichick were really close. They stayed out there, and I got to be a fly on the wall for years. So I saw those guys articulate things, and Coach, that was pretty special. So I know those two teams for two days is going to be really pivotal. I think they're going to get a ton of stuff done. Um, the roster change they have to make right now is so crucial, especially right now in these next coming weeks, to be able to evaluate those guys down the roster uh, inside and out and to be able to get the exact lineups they want. Um, is something special, man. It's something to be, I, I, I love seeing it. Um, when I had a chance to be around it, it was, it was amazing, man. To see those guys articulate the roster at such a finite um, perspective is, is pretty special, man. And I know those two days that these guys are going to get together are huge, especially right now, because it's going to get, it gets real slim real fast. Uh, you were talking about the grinder, and I want to go back to your personal life. I met your lovely wife at the Southern Nevada Sports Hall of Fame, and uh, you have a grounded great personal life how do you balance this all with this insane schedule where we are in the calendar and getting ready to start the season yeah i mean i'm, I'm really fortunate to have a really good home life and a good and a good foundation at home um with my family i mean they've been they've been there since the jump they've seen it we've, we've traveled all over the country we've been at every level um they understand this is the life we live and i think that uh the, the older i've got the better i've got about that balance i think i I'd be, i'll be honest and with like probably many, and I, I didn't do a good job early on because it's just really hard, and you're young, and you're so passionate, and you're burning the 16-, 17-, 18-hour days and grinding away on film until you realize you're, you know, it's 3 in the morning and you probably should take a nap. Um, so uh, I think that just having a, having that perspective, um, you know, we've had some things happen that were really unfortunate and different than many in, in our life with, our, with, with some kids and home life that made me 
uh, opened my eyes to taking some more time, and I think that that's, uh, that's been really good. Um, it's been unfortunate in some, in some cases, but I think good for us overall. But uh, like many, it's, it's a tough profession. It's very vagabond. It's military life. Yeah. And, and having a good, a good solid uh, foundation in homes is a really vital thing for us. Last two. First, what does yeah. this property mean? You pop over here from time to time. It's not too far yeah. from campus. You have friends. You have people in town and family. you got to take them to a dinner. you got to take them out there, show them some entertainment. What do you like about Virgin Hotel? Yeah, I, mean, I was fired up when they got here. I mean, I, I met Boz. I met, I met uh, a couple guys that work here, Gary Scott. I mean, you know, one steakhouse yeah. is awesome. J.O.D. Um, J.O.D.'s fantastic, man. I mean, this is, a, this is legit. We use it for recruiting. It's across the way. It's a big deal for us. we got a ton of recruits to stay here our family stay here uh they wow. did just an incredible job of uh integrating the city and, and being something that's fresh and new and vibrant um and so we jumped right on it when we first when they first got here i walked in and basically started trying to meet anybody i could to say if we could uh, if we could start a relationship and, and they've been fantastic to us they're one of our core sponsors for our camp um actually our football camp which was the last two years has been unbelievable last year was one of the largest on the west coast so um they're a great relationship we've got and we'll continue to use Coach, last one, your message to the fan base here, even the non-Rebel fans who are jumping in right now. What are your expectations with that beautiful stadium, the great student-athletes that you have, and what you can do to get the fans involved? Yeah, I mean, obviously we've got to put out a good product, but I think at the end of the day, if you've got any interest in, in, in local and, and, and community uh, programs, I mean, our program right now is as is, is exciting for us internally as, as it's ever been, in my opinion. I think we're, we're really excited about this second, second training camp, what we've built, who we've got coming process we made um being part of this city at this time for me is really special man it, it fires me up man this place is i can't believe how fired up we are to be here and 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 i know our kids are fired up to play at allegiant um any opportunity you guys get out to come see us we got a bunch of afternoon games which is really cool yeah. um and so i think you know getting get to a place in the mountain west where this place is packed in allegiant and it's it's one of the toughest places to play it'd be really fun thanks for doing this coach it means a lot it. appreciate it, it. thank yeah. you no marcus arroyo Welcome back to Virgin Hotels, the podcast. This is episode two. The man in charge, Richard Bosworth. Boz joins me. Thanks for coming in, Boz. You're always here, so it was kind of easy to get you. Rick, I will tell you something. If I had not been here, I would have flown back, driven back. I would have run back. I would have taken a bicycle. It didn't matter. I would have gotten back here. You won't believe this. So earlier today, I woke up, and one of the first things I do is I go on Facebook to see my mom and dad and to see what they're doing. They're always posting something. Two years ago today, you had me... Oh, in the, the construction tour. hat. Now, now, check this out. Today to the day, I have the cover up because of COVID. Yep. I'm here right in the middle of the property, yep. and you laid out to me your vision of this property in the heart of COVID, all the difficulties you were doing, parking some team members, hoping they'd come back two years ago today. What does that mean to you? Well, let's start with the team members coming back yeah. because that is so important. And, you know, we had, I think we mentioned to you, right, that 90% yeah. of the Hard Rock team, 92% of the Hard Rock team stayed till the very last day, that February 3rd, 2020, just before what the party. War. What a party. It was yeah. a great, great week. Party. A great five party. days, yeah. Um, but they stayed to the end. We had given them a year and a half notification that we were shutting down. But to have 92% of this family, this team, stay until that very last day, despite the fact uh, that they knew we were shutting down, to me, was so meaningful. And 85% of them came back. I mean, a lot moved out of town during COVID. Sure, yeah. And unfortunately, I think we would, have, we would have gotten them all back. But so opening this property, and this fact, this, despite the fact that we opened it during, during the COVID, during the pandemic, during social distancing, during the mass, we all, you know, bar stools, 
three feet apart, you know, 50% capacity for the restaurants. We remember those days. Uh, it wasn't all that well. long ago. The fact that we were able to open up during that time period and see them come back was the absolute most meaningful. Because if you recall, Brick, we, we, we opened really for the community during COVID. We knew we could have well, waited yeah. a few months, but we're like, why? Everybody's ready to go. The property's ready to go. Let's do it. You know, that's interesting. I've been, I've known so many team members here. They wanted to come back. And as you said, you didn't have to open it on that timeline, and then you did. And then all the different activations at different times here. What did you learn about your management team? Because your management team's in the middle of it. They're looking at spreadsheets. They're trying to hire people, bring people back. How complicated was that with your great background in hospitality? Do you know, we gave them 42 days from the time that we decided, right? The project was open. It was The project was built, but we weren't open. And I was like, as soon as I heard the governor's speech that they were going from six feet social distancing to three feet, we all looked at each other. We were watching the speech in my office. I said, we're going to open. Let's do it. Let's do it. March 24th. Let's do it. You know, I wanted to try to get close to the actual 26th anniversary of the Hard Rock opening, which I think was like on March 11th or 12th, something like that. Um, but it was just not too soon because that some of that social distancing came down a little bit on March 15th. I said, hey, we're going from six feet to three feet. That's enough for me. Let's do it. I gave the team 42 days to say, okay, let's put the plan in action and let's go. You learn a lot about your team you learn right, when you, you put that pressure on and yourself because you're working around the clock there and it's 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 stressing you and pressing you to get everything done on time it's the fun part yeah you Come love on. that yeah. Right? yeah i mean some some of us still say today and i and i remember standing in front of the the entire you know uh, management and leadership team saying this is the fun part you know yeah. the, the work you know the opening the property that's obviously a very big task and one you'll always remember and have those freeze frame moments mm-hmm. but you know the the real work starts when the customer starts coming in you know, we got to start servicing the guests and start servicing the community and compete in this unbelievable, you know, hospitality market. Let's talk about some of your venues here. Let's start with the theater. Mm-hmm. When you walked me through the theater while you were doing the renovation and putting more money into an iconic joint, which is now the theater, I've been a six or seven or eight shows since, and it has never sounded better. The experience, the lounge area that you opened up, I sit in the back of the house if I'm in a suite with you. And the sound, the acoustics, what are you hearing from all your customers? Well, AEG did an amazing job in taking the lead, really, with that renovation uh, on our behalf and coming in and just kind of really launching it. And to have an expert, you know, worldwide expert like AEG um, was something that was support that was, you know, just really took us to the next level. Mm. Um, But the theater is beautiful. And if you recall, again, it was still it was still a lot of conditions that you had to have before yeah. you could open. Oh, we, we opened with boxing, top-ranked boxing in there. So I think really our first four or five events was all sports. That was a great partnership, by the way, with Bob Arum and Top Rank. The fights Bob's were great. incredible. The television look of it, the feel, the buzz here on the property were incredible. I'm, I'm getting calls, literally calls and text messages during fights from buddies back east and saying, is that your joint? Yeah. Is that your place? Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. He goes, wow. He goes, you know, he goes, we're watching the fight now back in New York or Jersey or wherever, Boston. And just to have that, that level of exposure was fantastic. Um, but I think then all of a sudden we started moving and we started growing to the entertainment. Um, we've had some great acts, right? Everything from Widespread Panic, who we're very hopeful is going to come they're, back. They're pretty good with business. I, I was talking <laughs> to a couple of the original bartenders here, and I go, what are the greatest 
shows of all time in regards to revenue and fans. And like, oh, widespread panic. Oh, widespread They're panic. unbelievable. No, we're, we're going to get them back. Yeah. I, I know we are. Sure. Um, you know, we have, we've had, you know, uh, Machine Gun Kelly. We had mm-hmm. Carol G. Uh, we had Journey. Um, you know, I keep going. We've had some great acts here. Um, and we got some great acts now. Uh, next week, we've got an old 80s act, you know, with a, Wang Chung. You know, oh you, you got to remember Wang Chung. Everybody does. Have fun tonight. tonight. <laughs> here at Virgin Hotels. That's awesome. Tell me about the Shag Room and what's working there and what's working with some of the restaurant partners that you have. So, you know, I, I noticed earlier when I was walking walking by that you had uh, Ian McCarthy, our, yeah. our, our general manager yeah. of the Shag Room and the Commons Club, and you had Sean Efferman here who hosts our, our, open, our mic. open mic night. Open mic night was really born out of the jazz and blues music that we have on weekends, right? And just that soulful, sultry type of music. Um, and I noticed really one of the, you know, this was going back well over a year. I noticed that first couple weekends when we had that music, how many local artists mm-hmm. that we were attracting. And I was, you know, you know, this is interesting. This is, a, there is so much, there's such great entertainment, so many um great performers right that in las vegas might be in between gigs or with a band and want to pick up some more work or they're with a band but they want to do something a little different yeah. they want to express their artistry and i'm like you know what we need to do an open mic night but just not you know kind of like a cheesy open mic night you know we just get auditions going let's get these artists coming in it's been the most fun i don't have you judged it yet i haven't judged it yet that's right oh, up my oh, alley we're gonna Come remedy on. that oh, we're, gonna, we're, gonna, we're gonna remedy so that. that's Keith, been a success Keith. Next judge for open mic night. I want to be a judge for open mic night. That sounds like a done deal. All right, a couple other things. The restaurants. Whenever I come here, the experience I have at Olive's where I'm going to tonight with the Morton Brothers and J.O.D., the other restaurants, Keeping Nobu, which is always, Boz, brilliant every time I go in there. You had a big vision for food here. How's that working? So, it's fucking fantastic. Yeah. I mean, we're actually out with a campaign now. It's called Food Unites Us. We thought that was really important. Mm. You know, when there's always so much cultural divide, right. like, people get together over food, right? You know, but to, like, look, we have great Thai food, right? When you have the Thai food of night and market, and you can combine that with amazing coastal California cuisine of like a Cassie, or, you know, you've got the olives, of course, you mm. know, and you look at a Nobu. When you start pairing these restaurants together, one steakhouse is fabulous. It's one of the best steakhouses in, in town. Las no in doubt. town, no doubt. And you, you know, you never know from the world of sports who you're going to see in one steakhouse on any given night, right? So, I, the, the fed, we wanted an ecosystem of food and beverage, mm-hmm. and we wanted really to kind of grow that the ability to have outside dining, which Casa Calavera has. Cassie Beach has clearly taken everybody's yeah, by, by storm. storm. I agree with that for sure. Um, but. You know, one of the things we're also trying to develop is a musical festival environment with outdoor entertainment mm-hmm. around our food and beverage. By combining right. this food and beverage environment, like tonight, we have Thievery Corporation out on the event lawn. Everyone's saying to me, boss, you're too old to know Thievery Corporation. They're a great band. They're a great band. Fantastic. Fantastic band. And, it's, it, you know, we're going to a thousand people out there on the event lawn tonight, which is, you've heard me say, is kind of our little mini Hollywood Bowl. But they're coming in, and they're going to Casa, and they're going to Cassie, they're going to One, they're having Thai food. Um, some are taking some of the food out onto the event Yeah, lawn. they should. They're going to have some drinks, sit there, lay out a blanket, and watch Thievery Corporation and enjoy them. We are diehard sports fans. I don't want to say ever, and I've been known to exaggerate, the Yankee slump is one of the worst historically ever. Here's why. They had a chance to be a top three Yankee team of all time regular season, 116, 117 games on pace. They can't win a game. 
they can't compete in a game. If Donaldson didn't get that walk-off grand slam the other night when Chapman gave up three in the 10th, yep. where would we be today here? We'd be talking about getting swept in that series by Tampa Bay and possibly getting swept against Toronto. They made a lot of trades at the deadline. I understand why they wanted to get better, but they traded a left-handed starter. They brought in Montez from Oakland. And nothing is clicking. Still a nine-game lead. As a Yankee fan, are you nervous tonight? I'm not, and I'm going to tell okay. you why. Because, and, and call me overly optimistic. It's August. This happens. I would rather this happen right now than happen in September. You and I have been Yankee fans long enough to know we look towards the we look towards right. after Labor Day. That post-Labor Day, that that end run that they get. Now they are nine games up, right? I mean, if you look at overall record, right there. Uh, they're probably fourth in the MLB. You yeah. got the Mets, you got the Braves, you got the Dodgers. Astros are behind, get, and that was for home. That was for home field, so home, that was important. So that was important. Yeah. So you, you see where they're where they're sitting, still with a nine game lead. They're not going to. They may. They're not going to lose the pennant. They're going to win the American League. I'm not saying they would, but you but, said it. But, I, you're right. But I tell. I to say I didn't think about it over the last week or two because if those games, you know, Toronto really struggled at that point in Tampa Bay. If they won five more when we were losing. You know, it's four or five games, but that's not the case. As you said, other teams struggle too. It's been since the All-Star break, right? Yankees have been struggling since the All-Star break. But get us to September. Get us past Labor Day. Let them get, you know, it's, it's kind of like the old expression, you know, you know, you know bring your hitting shoes, you know, to, to the game, right? The Yankees will bring their hitting shoes to the game. You know, let them leave August behind and let them gear right because they were so strong. Let they them gear right back up. Boss, let, them gear, there. let them gear back up for the postseason. That's when it counts. So you believe they could use that sports term, flip the switch? Absolutely. So that's big because Stanton, when my dad says a great thing, you know, my daddy always says, you know, when a Yankee goes on the DL, they take all their time on the DL. They never come off early. It's not like, hey, Stanton's all of a sudden better. And he won the MVP of the All-Star game, as yep. you know. And I really thought he was locked in. And Judge was really looking like he was going to get well over Maris and yeah, go to 61, 60, maybe 65. <laughs> and he's in a bit of a slump now. The only thing that concerns me, Boz, is the fact that there's a lot of 230, 228, 240 hitters in that lineup. And we're in August, and I don't think they're going to go from 240 hitters to 330 hitters unless one or two of them get hot in the playoffs. I think this is important for Cole to pitch well. He's got to have his moment now Mm -hmm. where either has a clubhouse discussion, stands up, starts burying people inside, intimidating people, saying, I'm going to take the Yankees back the way Whitey Ford, the way all the legendary pitchers, Ron Guidry, who Mm -hmm. we love so much. He's got to have that moment, and I haven't seen it yet, and I hope it happens here in August. Weren't you a little nervous coming into the All-Star break as how hot they were? Being a, being a lifelong uh, I Yankee fan. I was just so happy, Boz. They were, every night on the radio, as you know, I'm on the radio during their games every night. I'd look up in the third inning, and it would be 6-1. And then it would be 11-3. And I said, this team can't be stopped. I'm just surprised the bats got silent. But you're optimistic, so I'm going to be optimistic. So, you know, it reminds me a little bit about the bottom of the ninth. Uh, game 7, 2001. Yankees are up. Right, going into the, the the bottom of the ninth, and they they bring in their closer. Mariano comes out, and and I'm I'm looking at TV, and I'm looking at his ERA, and I'm looking at the last time there was an earned run, and I'm doing the math, and everybody's getting excited, and my my daughter's calling me from college, saying, you know, it's screaming over. and yelling, the Yankees won. I'm like, oh, I don't know. So when you start looking at these percentages, and you start thinking about it. I don't know if they could have sustained the way they were playing, the way they had been, but I, they're going to get it back. I'm comfortable. Love to see a Subway Series. 
Oh, how great would that be? It I was, was there for that. I was there the last time, and it was incredible. You saw the D- Jeter documentary, The Captain. Love that and what documentary. He did, what he did in the Subway series, which was great. We'll review this. We're going to play the podcast back in a couple of months to see where we're at. Finally, your message to everyone listening here at Virgin Hotels, the team members, your customers, your clients, and the people who continue to come back. What is your message over the next six months to a year? Watch our entertainment. Watch our food offerings. Also, watch our events and conventions. You know, we've got a very strong convention calendar coming up. Right. Um, a lot of great groups. I'm, I'm talking about really fun, fun, like Monster Energy, you know, cars. Um, we've got some great technology companies, parties out there on, on the pool deck for up to uh, 9,000. So we've wow. got so much coming on board, you know, over the next few months with the event, with events and conferences. But for the most part, is look at our entertainment. We have this real interesting diversification of entertainment going into the end of the year and mm-hmm. into 2023. Some great, we, we've made some offers on some great residencies that I'm looking forward you to. Love that. You love teasing that. Because you do, because you deliver and you close them, which but, I love. But but you know what? You just, you, it's like anything else. I don't want to say them until they're done yeah, deal. Until they're closed. Yep. Thanks for doing this, and thanks right. for everything you do for me. Thank you, everything that you do for us. And, you know, we, you're such a great representative of the community uh, of Las Vegas. It's so important to, to all of us because this is an industry that is indigenous to Las Vegas and even with our competitors. You know, it just helps everybody. I love representing Virgin Hotels. Thanks, boss. Thank you, buddy. Wrapping up the Virgin Hotels Las Vegas podcast, episode two. What a lineup we had. We just had the owner, Richard Bosworth, Marcus Arroyo, the head coach of UNLV, and right now my good friend, America's favorite sports gambler, Bill Krakenberger. Crack, thanks for coming in. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It's really, really nice uh, that you had me. You had thought of me out of all the people you have on your show, and uh, I, I really appreciate you, like I'm saying, thinking of me. It's a, it's an honor just to be mentioned in these guys' uh, names here. Well, I wanted, and- I, yeah, I wanted to have you because the sports angle. I'm, I'm spending a lot of time talking about the property, which we'll get to because this is property, this podcast of Virgin Hotels. But what's interesting for you is this time of year with preseason football, something lights up with you because you have an advantage you know you have an advantage it's not the regular season yet how is this preseason going so far and what trends have you seen as we're still trying to figure out who's going to play or not yeah um preseason football listen if anyone that can't beat preseason football should not be a handicapper i'm not just saying that because um i had a good first week i said that before last week even started um, I think I, I was. I'm so far. I'm five and one for my crack wins, guys. Now I couldn't make a statement like that unless I was, because they come after me on Twitter. Uh, listen, it's all about three or four different things. Uh, I've mentioned it before on, on, on other programs, and sometimes they don't grasp what I mean. It's really about knowing the the how many series the, the starting quarterback is going to play. You want to know, or of course, maybe they won't even play the first two weeks. They, they're not going yeah. to play normally. Um, but sometimes they, they, they'll throw a, a set in there or two. You know, we've seen last night's game, perfect example. A couple of the guys that were on last night, a couple of those starters, they were really upset they only played one, three, three downs and out. They were really upset, a couple of the Seattle guys. But it, they don't want, you can't get hurt in, in week two preseason, so I understand it too. But you have to know really what quarterbacks are going to be in there playing, how long are they going to play, what's going to happen in the second half, who's really going to play in the first half. Just look at some of these lines. You'll see it's not unusual to see a game minus three for the game, minus three and a half first half. 
the first half line is bigger than the actual game. I've seen it this morning. So they, because there's going to be the information's out there. There's starters that are out that, that are going to play only in the first half. They're not going to play in the second half. Second half's a crapshoot. You have to know that. You have to know. What, so tell me when the final line is out there and when you like to pounce. You like to pounce whenever you have great information oh yeah. and you see a line. But what's it like with preseason line movement? How volatile is it? It's it this year. It's unbelievable. I can get my phone out and actually show you. It's it's so so scary. Now I'm going to show you right here. As as you'll now this is this is just my this was just my app here and and you'll see. I mean, literally, you could pick almost any game here. Uh, that that this is my app actually. So here, Baltimore, Arizona under 42, 38, 38 and a half now. Uh, I can go anyone. Cleveland, Philadelphia, 41. It's 38 also. Falcons, pick them. The line was like, I don't know what it is now, but it was like three. The idea is you have to get ahead of the curve, on, especially on these line moves, especially on the games around one or two if you're picking a side. It's funny. I won't give out any sides during a regular season. Almost unbeatable at NFL. And a lot of guys that sell games get mad at me and say, crack. Why would you tell people that all the money you're missing out by? You shouldn't tell them you're, that, that, you don't, that, that you don't think NFL's beatable. Listen, it's the hardest thing to beat is NFL sides followed closely by NBA sides. You could be totals. You could be props. You could be correlated parlays, first-half correlated parlays, basic strategy teasers. Um, I was just in Atlantic City where I found some teasers that they were going to put up for the season, three-team, six-point teasers, and that's getting back $1.75. Every hundred, you get back 175. Mathematically, that's just basic strategy. You don't have to know nothing. You don't have to know anything at all. Just know that you could take these six-point teasers and go through the key numbers of seven and three, and put them put three of those teams together, and you can definitely make money by the end of the year if you keep on that doing that. So it's knowing all those little things, little skill sets like that. Um, you know, it, it, it all equals up to a lot. But as far as NFL sides go, I won't bet them during the season, but I'll bet them now because now is the time to pounce on on uh, preseason football. So crack with the limits that you can bet on preseason compared to the regular season and the way casinos treat you when they know you're coming and you're trying to spread out your wealth around a bunch of different states now how do you pick and choose i mean do you go all in on games or how, what is your discipline like in the preseason knowing you have a better advantage than the regular season i try to bet as much as i can i, I really do it like i, I think I, if i just had I, I literally like I just I just walked in from Caesars from from a sports book here in town, and I said, "How much you guys want to take on teasers?" They took thirty six three thousand on teasers. Teasers this time of the year. <laughs> First of all, try to find a book that takes teasers. Caesars does. Uh, there's a couple sports books that that will. Most of them won't. They charge a dollar twenty, laying six to five on teasers here. Uh, there's other sports books in town. One of the bigger ones, one of the sharper ones. They won't even take them. Circle will not take a teaser in the NFL right now in preseason. I found one that did. I think it's a weakness. I think I exploited it for as much as I could. Um, now, what do you mean by as much as you could? I'm going to explain what that means, too. Uh, these lines are tighter. You guys all know that these lines are lined a little bit lower. You see, the first week, the average line was 33. By the way, obviously too low. All the overs came out. They, over, they had over-adjusted them for week two. Now they're, they added eight points to every single total. The average point was the average team was 42 this week. Under was the right way to go. Under was really the right way to go on a lot of the, on a lot of these bets. And um, so what I'm trying to say is, it's a lower. These are lower scoring games than regular season. 
Therefore, the teasers, when you're adding six, seven points to a teaser, is worth so much more now than it is regular season. So basic strategy teaser. I mean, here, Pittsburgh Steelers, plus two and a half. I took them to eight and a half. Right through the three, through the seven. Colts, plus three, went through the three, went through the seven to nine. These are basic strategy teasers. You almost don't even have to know uh, who's playing or anything. You just know what, that you're getting a lot more points than you should get uh, and, and the, because of the, the totals are so low. Bill Krakenberger joins us, America's favorite sports gambler. So how does the preseason affect your handle? And when you look at what your bankroll looks like, and you have a big bankroll because I'll get to this in a bit. I actually see your tickets. I know what you do. Other people, I don't know what they do. They claim they do this or that. How are you building up your bankroll now, or does, does it not affect it? Uh, you know, I'm the same humble guy that I've always been, so <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to really uh, – I'll just tell you, I don't bet – there's no way. I don't bet – even though I preach betting a percentage of your bankroll, so if you have if you have $10,000 or let's say $1,000, let's, let's do a real number. You have 1000 bucks. your real maximum bet should be like $30. If you're looking to build the bankroll, 2-3% of your bankroll is the most you should be betting. Uh, I don't even do that no more because I have an adequate bankroll that I don't even know. Uh, it's not. It's not my. These bets aren't two percent of my bankroll. That's for sure. Because I, that's why I try to get down as much as I can. I mean, um, but I do recommend someone that's taking it serious to bet a percentage of their bankroll. But I know people on the East Coast where, where I'm from. Every, you got a thousand bucks. You go into the sports book. You're betting three hundred a game on three games. That's it. The whole thing's going in action. I don't think I've ever asked you this. How sure. many people who gamble? on sports take it seriously uh percentage wise everyone thinks they do Uh, i'm gonna think it's uh, you're gonna you wouldn't believe it. it's probably higher than we even think people think they're they're more of a serious gambler than they are people think that they're they go in there with the intent to win especially east coast guys that's born and bred and and our it's it's instilled in us since was its birth they're going in there with the intent to win with being a very serious gambler so uh, it, it, it's probably more than you think. I'm d- just to show you again. Now, this is my DraftKings, Bill Crack. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- that's my balance now. But, I mean, wow. if you look at this, open bets, you would be shocked how many open bets there are. You could scroll till the cows come home. How many bets I have pending already. It's like, oh, Yeah, it's you're scrolling. You're not half, stopping. Half a million dollars I have pending. Just pending on, on bets. It's just all advantage, 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 everything thrown out. And, and, and the reason why I'm saying this is I started this whole thing, JT, with that $1,000. 1993 it was, 92, 93, I had 1000 bucks. I sent 500 bucks to two offshore sports books, doubled my bankroll, 1000 and 1000 and, and literally have not looked back. I, I, I don't even know what I've made. This is incredible. Yeah. So we've talked about this on all my other platforms that I believe this is the wild, wild west with gambling. Sports books, legalization, media, television, radio, and the worst part of it is social media. I think social media has been taken over as we talk about the charlatans and anybody who, if you're lucky to have a blue check mark, congratulations. If you don't, there are a lot of people giving out information and they're trying to rope people in. How does the average sports better find someone like you, and it might not be you, that they're comfortable with that they can go through the highs and lows and feel like they can stay with that person giving them advice. Man, I tell you, it's it's the most unbelievable subject matter in, in, in sports, not even sports gambling. It's every single thing you look at today. I, the, the game last night, I'm, I flicked it on for a little bit at the end of the game. I tweeted out about it. 
Everyone's talking about sports betting now. There was an old lady in the stands rooting and, and screaming at the refs because she had the under and the, the over in the game. I mean, everyone's talking sports betting now. So that means there's so many of these people out there, these snake oil salesmen, let's call them what they are, all over these social media platforms. And, and uh, you know what? A lot of them have blue check marks even. You, you bring up a good point. They have blue check marks. So it, it's, it's a scary thing when I see someone with a blue check mark giving out information that I know is total BS, and I see it all the time. Yeah, my best friend Todd is here oh, and he likes I to talk. gamble he likes to oh, gamble right. on college football he's really sharp so take our audience behind what's going on with the difference between a gambler who wants to specialize in the nba major league baseball college football or the nfl how do they stick with specialization and how do they get loose and how do they lose their di- discipline and jump into other sports because they see a game they love the only sharp guys i know that are sharp in one thing and think they're sharp. And the, one of the top basketball handicappers of all time. He worked for Mr. Walters for a year. Mr. Walters is Billy Walters. If people don't yep. know, he's one of the sharp syndicate groups out there for, for many decades. This guy was one of his handicappers, one of the sharpest guys in the world, one of the most beautiful minds, would continually lose his money that he made in college basketball and tennis and baseball, which he didn't have a clue, but he thought he did. And you're right. It's hard to, it's hard to actually uh, specialize in so many different things. If I had to choose something now after last year's NFL season, uh, again, I don't, I don't bet no NFL sides. So very rare I'll bet an NFL side. But I killed them on correlated first-half parlays. I killed them on teasers. Uh, absolutely destroyed them on props. Uh, Tell me about the props. How would you, how'd you get so over-under, hot last year? Over-under, on, team, over-under on, on, on player props. Everyone loves fantasy football. Every, that's all they talk about now is player props. So every single sports book I know, especially these ones back east, the reason why I go back to Jersey, even though I live here, I go back there because these sports books, DraftKings, FanDuel's, uh, MGM's, they all offer player props. And on every game, they're offering 20, 30, 40, 50 player props. They can't get all the lines right on a Sunday if they're offering every. By the way, they don't yeah. just do the primetime games. They do all the games, 13, 14 games, 50 props a game. It's impossible for them to get it all right. Crack, as we wrap this up, what have you learned over the last couple of years? Because a lot of our listeners, they don't understand what it's like to be in a sharp casino like the Westgate or at Caesars, as you talked about, and then they just want to get on their app and look at FanDuel, and they want to look at DraftKings. What's the difference between the typical book on your app or going into a sports book where they know you, you know them, sitting there watching the lines, waiting for a movement, maybe going across town quickly to place a bet in another shop because you know you have an advantage there? What's changed in the last couple of years? Well, you know, it is good to know the people. Like, perfect example, the Caesars bets that you see here at 36, I bet 3,000 on Caesars. I don't know if anyone would have taken these at other sports books because they know me there. I'm an established player there, by the way. And, and I don't mean just mean sports book player. I'm an established player in a the casino. They know me there. Um, there's pros and cons of both coasts here. Uh, I call Vegas the coast. There's pros and cons of betting. Here in town, I do know some management here. I can walk into the win. The other day I walked into the win, and I bet under 52.5 on the first week um, primetime game, Dallas and Tampa Bay. I told the manager behind the counter, I said, listen, you guys have the best line in town. You're 52 and a half. How much can I bet? Can I bet 3000 It's not going to move now, but it will move tomorrow. Sure enough, it moved to 15 and a half the next day. And Doug Castaneda down there, nicely enough, he gave me 3000 bucks on it. That relationship, I don't have them in Jersey. I have app relationships in Jersey where it's 85% of the betting is done on apps in New Jersey. I wish I had those personal relationships where I could get down more. So it's interesting you bring that subject up. Last one. I think this is one of your great strengths. You don't drink. You've never done drugs. 
you like to go to a great restaurant, when you walk into a property, we'll use Virgin Hotels, for example, or other ones, we'll keep them off. When you're looking for some type of deal when you, look, when you walk in, if you're signing up for rewards, if you're looking for something, what can the common gambler think when they come to a brand-new property? You walk into Resorts World, you walk into Virgin, you walk into this brand-new Fountain Blue down the road. What are you looking for for an advantage and take advantage of a new property? Yeah, you know, I, I always recommend, even like my, my wife, I was telling her, you know, don't sign up for a card at this place. And she's like, okay, why? The reason why is because they may have a deal one day. You sign up, you get $100 or $500. So I don't let her sign up for cards unless they have deals. Now, this place originally had deals back in the day. Um, you know, you, 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 you don't want to, I don't gamble to gamble. If I'm gambling on something, I'm walking in to gamble, I'm looking for a deal. Now, granted, I used to not, I was a sucker for years. I was a dead stone cold dice loser back in the 80s and 90s. I was a loser like everyone else. I just, uh, I like to consider myself an advantage player now. When I have friends that come to town, they want to go out and shoot craps for 100 bucks, 200 bucks. It's hard for me to even do that, and trust me, it means nothing to me. But um, I, I do like to go out to eat every night, and nothing, everyone, my, my wife drinks. I'm nothing against drinking. I just have to get up every single morning with a clear head. Yeah. I'm betting sports year-round. I can't have anything that's going to influence me or nothing, but I will be honest with you. Tomorrow night, I'm going to an, I'm a music guy. I'm going to an Australian Pink Floyd show, which I've seen them four times. Here, the first time. And when I was friends with the CEO at the time here, and I knew what they paid him. like, you paid this group? I got to go see them. They were unbelievable. They're supposed to be amazing. They were un- I've seen them four times. They're- they blew me away. Roger Waters, David Gilmore, both have used this band that's been around 35 years themselves. So um, tomorrow night, I'm even like thinking of maybe like <laughs> partaking in something. I don't know what. I don't even. I'm such a nerd. I don't have no idea what I'm doing. Um, but anyway, this guy's great. Oh, Todd English, my friend, my, my buddy Todd English runs a restaurant here, Olives. And uh, he, he's great. I, I had dinner with him uh, a couple weeks ago. Great guy. Love him. Last question, really important to me. You know, I have a 21-year-old son and a 19-year-old son. And all of the guys in the fraternity house and everybody, if they're not looking at girls and having fun and drinking, gambling. they're gambling. And I'm worried about it. Not for my kids. They're not in that because I've never gambled, which is quite amazing i've never placed a bet yeah and i encourage everybody to bet because it makes everybody a smarter sports fan what should the parents and people look for what's the thing the trait where you go oh man he's having fun he's at the barbecue he's talking about he bet 10 bucks on the knicks and then all of a sudden you hear that story again and again and the story changes what are some of those bullet points we should look forward to to watch these parents so they know what they're looking i, at? I just wish the listeners knew what's going on here i did this week i did two shows this morning I did two shows yesterday. I did a show on Monday. No one asked those kind of things. That's responsible gaming to me, and that's, that, that shows who you are and who your character is. You have kids. You realize what's going on in life. And uh, let me tell you, you'll be shocked. I'm going to tell you this now, too. If I had kids, I wouldn't even want them being in this gambling world. Even though I'm, a, I'm an educated gambler, I've made millions and millions of dollars, doesn't matter. I wouldn't want them being in this world, around this with their friends and stuff. Uh, it, listen, it, 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 I grew up. I grew up in the back east. I grew up in the Bronx and the Jersey Shore. We had we had literally lotteries, casinos, racetracks, uh, girls, uh, drinking, drugs. So many. It was Vice Central. Now they threw sports betting in the mix. Now these fraternities and these college kids. Everyone thinks ah, I could bet ten bucks here and twenty bucks here. I'm telling you, we're going to see a giant fallout. Not now. Not mm-hmm. a year from now. Two years. Five, ten years from now, we're going to see a giant fallout where it's in all these kids' face. Every park you go to, every ballpark, there's all ads for all these different sports books. Sooner or later, and it's not just going to be those kids that, that turn 25, 26 and get themselves in trouble. It's going to be lawyers, doctors, business people. 
Uh, responsible gambling should be pushed more. It is in New Jersey, and uh, I- I'm all for that. I'm, I'm, I'm for pushing that. Plug your app. Plug your website. Tell everybody how they can find if you. If you didn't say it, I wouldn't even have said it. You can find me on Twitter, at, at, at Bill Crackman with a K. Uh, crackwins.com and a Crackwins app also is my, uh, my site. And, uh, again, we started out 5-1 and one preseason. Gave out so many games this week, all sick moves, and and look look forward to more of these this week. And also, you know, my NFL season last year. I'm not going to give the percentage because it's unbelievable. But uh, I'm I'm sure we're going to do the same things this year. It's going to be props and stuff. People really enjoy. Come join us. That's my friend. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me. You got it.